Hi there. Just before we get started, this is just a quick reminder that our 2022 listener survey is out. We're interested in knowing what you thought of 2022 and how it might have changed your political views, as well as knowing what you'd like to see from us in 2023. So the survey is up until the 21st of December. So if you can answer it before then, that would be fantastic. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took uh, those five minutes just to answer that. Anyway, on with the show. <laughs> Dear listeners, this is BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. This is Alex Hockley. We're recording this on Sunday, the 27th of November, and I'm as usual with Philip Cunliffe and George Hoare. Hello. Hey. Hi. So, um, the left. Let's talk about the left. One of the starting points of this podcast, obviously, is that the end of history was the defeat of the working class. And that the end of the end of history is not necessarily its return or some new engine of history returning or emerging, uh, but merely the collapse of the old. But that question of what is the left remains um, and actually imposes itself quite often. How do we think of the left as having declined, as having suffered defeat, a political defeat, a historical defeat even, or that it has even died? So this is a question which is going to underlie um, what we're about to discuss right now. Um, but just before we get started and actually introduce what we're specifically talking about, guys, what is your understanding of of this debate and its implications? Well, I think the probably the first thing to say that the left and the working class, those two things are not the same. I mean, there's a lot of, um, <clears throat> I think, a lot of debate and discussion over what the left means and who has the right to appropriate this this language to kind of wear these um these clothes that have been part of the I'm extending this metaphor but have been part of politics um since you know since the time of the French Revolution. Um I mean I guess the the probably one thing to say is that I was part of a collection, the Conformist Rebellion, which was subtitled, you know, Marxist critiques of the left. So I would probably say that there is something different between the left and Marxism. And that's an important distinction to make. Um, so yeah, I think it's you still can talk of of the left though and who it refers to, who's trying to appropriate this label and, and what they think it it means. I've got I've got more comments on this, but we can get into these in in yeah, the course of the, of the article. Yeah. Still. I'm not going to give you a definition because it's not, you know, something so easy to define the left. Yeah, I would agree with George. There is a tendency, I think, to take um, particularly when talking about the 20th century, as to take Marxism as the entirety of the left, and it's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult question to approach because anyone who feels even vaguely kind of left of center, I think, um, wants to make a claim to their left, right, as opposed to, yeah. um, and their left being the kind of the um, the authentic left, and obviously that skews the nature of how you think and talk about the overall question. Um, but I mean, you know, as George indicated, I mean, if you take the origin of the left as sitting on the left-hand side of the king in the um, in the const the early kind of um, constitutional monarchy phase of the French Revolution, then in the S um, National Assembly, Estates General, all that, then you know, the left um, is something which is 
embedded in modern politics, um, but is not the same thing as the organized working class. So I think the left is something which is um, kind of has been organically connected to um, questions of working class power and working class revolt over the last 200 or so years. But it's not the same thing as it. And I think that, in fact, is, you know, very evident in Western politics at the moment, that separation. And it's not an original observation. I mean, because, you know, I think even kind of very, um, you know, uh, all run-of-the-mill kind of political scientists understand uh, in discussing the switch of working-class voters away from old social democratic parties to insurgent populists or to right-wing parties, you know, they're recognizing that separation. Yeah, very good, um, important stuff to to note as we start off. And the question of the left's connection to socialism or to revolution is also something that we'll be returning to. So let me tell you very specifically um, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, there is a, a a long article out in the New Left Review in the September October twenty twenty two issues, very recently by Jurgen Therborn. Um, it's a synoptic analysis of where the left is globally speaking, almost a quarter of the way into the twentieth century. So Therborn, if you're not familiar, is a Swedish Marxian sociologist. Um, he was born 21st in 21st century, Alex. You see, you're already getting your dates confused. Oh, it's indeed. Yeah, yeah. Nearly a quarter of the way into the 21st century, luckily, yeah. not the 20th century. <laughs> uh, things would be so, so much flies. simpler then. Because <laughs> um, we would have all this uh, weight of historical knowledge to inform what we should do um, if we were back in 1922 rather than uh, 20. 122. Jesus, I don't I can't even say dates. Anyway, um, let's proceed. Uh, Therborn is a Swedish Marxian sociologist. He was born in 1941, which um, means that he was in his 20s throughout the 1960s, which is, um, I think, an important fact to note. He's associated uh, with the new left that emerged in that period, as well as with, uh, quote unquote, post-Marxism. So this piece is published in the New Left Review. Um, it's called The World and the Left. Um, and it's one of the journal's occasional big picture balance sheets. Um, so we're discussing it because we believe it to be important in that regard, rather than necessarily it being good, though we'll evaluate that as, as we go through. Um, and we discuss the themes associated with the state of the left today, one that Therborn tries to provide in terms of its ideas, its strategy, and its practice. Now, one more thing about the piece in terms of setting it up. Uh, the piece presents a balance sheet, firstly, of the 20th century, um, looking and then goes on to look at the innovations on the left throughout the 1990s, 2000s, and 2010s. And it concludes by examining the state of play globally, dedicating quite a lot of space, actually, to South America, to South Africa, to India, as well as, obviously, to the North Atlantic. Um, so it's quite, a, it's quite a hefty piece. I mean, it's 51 pages. So we're not going to be discussing everything. We're going to try to pull out the big themes. Um, and you can already hint, guess what they are, because it's the stuff that we've already been talking about. Now, just one little terminological thing before we proceed. Uh, we're going to call the new left, in capital letters, the new left. That should refer to the 1960s, uh, you know, the new left that emerged in the 1960s as um, as a sort of anti-Stalinist um, tendency on the left. And when we're talking about the left today, um, or the left from the 1990s onwards, we could maybe agree to call it the millennial left. Not, not that it's just composed of millennials, but effectively um, the 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 left that have existed from the end of history through to today, um, or alternatively, the post-Cold War left. I only say that because in the piece, Therborn often refers to the new left, meaning the contemporary left, and not his old new left from the 1960s. So 
just for the, uh, to avoid any confusion, the new left, that kind of 1968 revolt, um, the millennial left, that's what's going on in the 90s, 2000s, and uh, you know up to today. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Otherwise, it's the the old new left and and the new new left, which is yeah, well, you know yeah. it makes sense, but it's just a bit ugly, isn't it? A yeah. Bit confusing. So um, Thirborn makes a, an important or um, you know a kind of confident assertion and attempt to synthesize what the 20th century was as a way of starting off um, this exploration of the 21st century left. Says the 20th, 20th century uh, was characterized by two dialectics. Firstly, industrial capitalism, and it's a dialectic because it birthed and strengthened its opponent, the industrial working class. And secondly, capitalist colonialism, which likewise birthed and strengthened its opponent, which is to say anti-colonial movements. These uh, two dialectics drove uh, the politics of the 20th century. But at the end of it, we can look back and say, um, as Thereborn does, that the industrial class dialectic described in capital ended as welfare states within the confines of capitalism. Nor did the great revolutions carry their people to socialism or communism in the Marxian sense, the need to survive by developmentalism and the brutalizing consequences of the counter-revolutionary civil wars overtook the socialist project. Nor did the post-colonial states become beacons of popular freedom, justice, and equality. Um, so that's obviously quite a, a, a gloomy conclusion on what the 20th century gave us um, and the pro- versus the promises that it held. Do we agree, I guess, with just very basically with this sort of balance sheet of the 20th century? Well, I think it's not just gloomy. It's possibly the most gloomy position that you can possibly take because it's not just that the um, you know, the for, the historical forces of the left or progress or whatever were defeated in the 20th century is that the conditions that create those forces no longer exist. So it's a, um, I would say, a maximally pessimistic um, position because Thurborn contrasts the 20th and the 21st century by saying that, you know, industrial capitalism, this, as you said, Alex, it, it, it births and strengthens this exploited part, this kind of, you know, in the old um, way of putting things, you know, the, the grave diggers are created for capitalism, but in the 21st century, that doesn't happen. You have this new digital financial capitalism, which doesn't produce or develop its own adversaries. So yeah. it's, it's, um, to make that, that comparison, I think it, it sort of, it, you know, obviously grounds the whole essay, but I think it is just worth, um, like being clear that this is a, it's an extremely pessimistic, um, position because you no longer have this, this kind of underlying historical dynamic of producing opponents to or adversaries within a system. They have to come from outside somewhere. So, yeah. I mean, we can kind of pick up some of the consequences of this, but I think it's just worth saying it starts on a pretty um, <laughs> pretty downbeat note. It's not just a defeat, but the, poss- it, but the impossibility for the conditions of um, struggle. So there you go. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash bungacast. We'd love to have you.